0: Welcome to episode 15 of The Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. In this episode, Dr. Molly Astis interviews Dr. Joelle Borhar on some of the difficult decisions she has had to make throughout her career in emergency medicine so far. Hello,
1: everyone. My name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California, and I'd like to welcome you to the next episode of the Women in Emergency Medicine Women's Wisdom podcast. Thanks for listening. I have the distinct pleasure today of being able to talk to Dr. Joelle Borhart. She is joining us at AAM Scientific Assembly in Baltimore, Maryland. We've been running into each other in the hallways between events, trying to see and do everything. It's so great to have you with us. Thanks for being here.
2: Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
1: So tell us just a little bit about any of the hundreds of things that you do for AAEM, because I see your name popping up in all sorts of different places, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, too.
2: Sure. So AAM has been really an instrumental part of my career um, and development. Uh, I started as an AEM member when I was a resident um, and went to Scientific Assembly as a resident and then really got my start uh, by entering the Open Mic Competition. And uh, years ago, and I was selected as the, the winner for the open mic competition and then was invited back uh, to give a talk in the main scientific assembly. Um, and it really grew from there. I started um, participating on the education committee, uh, in the scientific assembly planning committee years ago, uh, when we uh, first started our short talks, now known breve Dolce, but years ago, they were Pecha Kucha talks. Uh, and so I was on a, a planning committee for the Pecha Kucha uh, subcommittee, and then um, eventually was uh, co-chair of Scientific Assembly for a few years.
1: That's incredible. And it's so great to hear that somebody else at the table was at the open mic competition because that's how I got my start too. It's such a, it was such an incredible experience.
2: Now, that's one of my standard recommendations for any uh, resident or medical student that is wanting to break into either the speaking circuit or an academic career is to take advantage of opportunities like open mic.
1: One of the things that I try to tell uh, all of my trainees is that getting into these leadership positions and getting more uh, adept and facile at maneuvering different organizations is a lot easier than you might think it is. And it certainly sounds like your journey was kind of one step leading into the next in your journey through AAM and the other organizations that you're a part of, uh, what was some of the best advice that you ever got?
2: So some of the best advice is, you know, first join a committee, um, sign up and join a committee. It's a great way to, um, enter into an organization. And then once you're on that committee, uh, identify a connector, uh, a connector being someone that seems to know everybody else, uh, and, uh, you know, use that uh, relationship with the connector then to grow your own personal connections. And things really do do build from there. Uh, There are endless opportunities, I think, within AEM and other organizations too, uh, to be involved. People are always looking for help with planning and organizing and emailing. And um, any way that you can uh, help uh, is is great and welcomed, I found. So um, I, I would join A committee, identify a connector, and then use th- their relationships to help build your own connections.
1: So, who are your connectors then? It definitely begs the question.
2: Uh, so, one of my connectors, I would say uh, Evie Marcolini. Um, oh, she's who, fabulous. <laughs> uh, who I uh, met early on uh, in the education committee. Uh, wonderful mentor, wonderful uh, physician, and uh, helped me really build relationships within uh, AAM for sure.
1: Awesome. So moving away from the, you know, non-clinical part of life and career and kind of having that involvement in national organizations and going very directly into the day-to-day, um, looking back at your clinical path thus far, and especially early on in your journey, was there ever a time that you felt like you kind of hit up against a pivotal moment, um, might not have realized it at the, at the time, but especially looking back now, hindsight being twenty twenty what was one of those
2: moments? Well sure I mean there were several pivotal moments I would say over the course of the uh, you know 12 years or so since I've been out of residency. Um, Of course a big one that comes to mind, um, in 2014 um, I had been with Georgetown uh, where I went to residency training and I took my first job with our group um, once I graduated in 2010. Um, And in 2014, an opportunity came up in uh, the state of Wisconsin that I was really excited about uh, for for myself personally. Um, My husband was less excited about making the move, which I think deep down I I knew all along uh, and I kind of pushed for it anyway. Uh, And so we made the move to Wisconsin. Uh, My husband really struggled to find a job. Um, He is a a kind of a niche uh, political person and really uh, does require his job requires him to be in DC. (laughs) I convinced myself that there was more flexibility than there actually turned out to be. So, uh, you know, we find ourselves in Wisconsin, uh, even though I was loving the group and loving the opportunity and and the work that I had found, he was really struggling. And so we were faced with a a tough decision. You know, what do we do? Do we, um, you know, go back? Do we stay here and, and hope that he finds something? Do we even split up and I stay and he goes? And Um, Ultimately, we decided to make the move back to Washington, D.C., and I rejoined the the group at Georgetown where I had been before, Um, and it was uh, very difficult, uh, of course, at the time and and even for a while after, but um, I think it was the right thing for us as as a couple and as a a family, Um, but at the time it felt catastrophic um, and I received that um, advice from some people, too. You know, you're leaving a job after just a few months. This is career suicide. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You'll geez. never recover from this. No pressure. Uh, right? <laughs> and uh, which, of course, I was you know worried about those things, too. But um, ultimately, it was uh, the right decision for for us as, as a couple and as a family to, um, you know, to, to stay together and try to find a place where we could both be happy and successful in our jobs when uh, we are there now. So.
1: So looking back at that moment when so many people were telling you, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, was there anybody who gave you the other side of the advice? Hey, it's going to be okay.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. Another um, wonderful mentor of mine, um, John Davis, who was a program leader while I was a resident and uh, was our program director and now our academic chair at Georgetown. And um, he's always been a a source of support and and a, a mentor and advisor and friend, uh, to me. And I was in close touch with him throughout this whole process. And, um, one thing he said to me, he said, anything can be undone except a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay. (laughs) And you know, so he's he's like, if it's not working, if it's not right, for whatever reason, just undo it. And so I did.
1: (laughs) And have you ever had any fallout from that decision?
2: Well, I, there was some fallout. I mean, financial, of course, we had bought a house and uh, everything. <laughs> I was all in on this move. I was really committed to, to making this work. So um, so certainly, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was you know costly from a financial standpoint. Um, it was hard on our marriage while I was uh, you know there and he was unemployed. And um, so I, my husband really struggled during that period um, as well. But uh, I was welcomed back to, to D.C. and welcome back to Georgetown. And uh, I don't feel like from a career standpoint for myself that there's been, uh, you know, really any negative um, effects. But
1: one of the things my dad always used to tell us when we were growing up is never burn any bridges. I feel like that's pretty standard advice for most of us from some sort of adultier person in our lives than ourselves. And that definitely must have been reassuring as you're trying to weigh the pros and the cons and the fallout of this kind of decision is knowing that you would have been accepted back at your group. And I think that that's very important for a lot of people early in their career to hear is that we were, were a specialty of connections, right? We connect with our patients, we connect with our group, we connect with each other. It's, it's, a, it's a larger growing specialty that still has a small town family feel to it. But even when you're going through a transition away from a group to a different state, there are ways of professionally going about doing that so that you don't burn any of those bridges. So in your handling of the situation back and forth both sides. How how did you tell your brand new group that, sorry, I, I've got to leave? How did you maneuver that?
2: Well, it was really tough. Um, and I was fortunate that they were so gracious um, and supportive of me and, and understanding of the, uh, the family obligations and the um, the the poll that was bringing us uh, back to dc as a couple so everyone was uh, incredibly supportive um and and understanding but uh, it was you know a challenging conversation still i mean um, i was personally disappointed and personally sad uh, you know to be leaving that that job because i really did uh, love the people love the um, the hospital and the, the residents and it was it was and still is a, an absolutely wonderful place, and so um, it was with a lot of sadness uh, that I left. But I was fortunate that they were understanding and supportive. And um, as you said, you know, these these connections in this community uh, continues, and uh, I was still, you know, able to maintain some relationships uh, that I formed there um, even to this day. So uh, there's still some important uh, people in my in my life and in my professional uh, circle. Uh, but I was uh, really fortunate to have such uh, graciousness and understanding on both sides.
1: I think that's so huge. We, we don't really realize the, the, the degree of support we can potentially get from those around us until we reach out and we're just honest and say, hey, so this is my situation. This is what I'm dealing with. Um, we need to relocate because of whatever reason, family, otherwise. And the second that we extend a hand, somebody's always there willing to grab it and willing to help us and willing to troubleshoot and brainstorm with us about different options.
2: And in the, the years since, I, I felt at the time that I was in a completely unique situation that no one has ever gone through before. Um, and, you know, in these these years since, uh, you know, I've, I've been in touch with several people that have been in almost identical situations, including our own group. Uh, a faculty member, you know, joined our group, uh, you know, was excited. Wife couldn't find a job or she had a job that, uh, that fell through at the last minute. So they left after a few months and it happens. And um, it certainly wasn't as unique <laughs> as I thought it was or it felt at the time.
1: It always feels like you're the only <laughs> one climbing that mountain, right? No one has ever climbed this mountain before. So if you were so if you were to be in the position of mentor rather than mentee to yourself in that situation, what, what would you look back? What kind of advice would you give yourself?
2: So I would tell myself to really think about your values and what really is important. And for me, my career is important. My job is important, of course, but uh, my, my marriage and my family is, is number one. Um, and so by, by putting that first, um, even though it had a short-term you know consequence and a short-term you know sacrifice of a position that I was really loving, um, it was the right thing for me and it was the right thing for our family. and, uh, and now looking back, it's actually something that I'm pretty proud of, honestly. Um, you know, I thought for a while, you know I people would look at my CV, and I'd be embarrassed, and I'd have to explain this six-month job change. And uh, But now I almost uh, look forward to being asked about it, because it is something that I'm, I'm proud of. I had never before been in a position where I really did have to choose between work and family. And I thought that I would pick family, <laughs> or I like to think that I would pick family in that situation, but I never really had been forced to actually make that choice. Um, and so when push came to shove, I I did. I I, I chose family over over work. Um, and I feel proud of that actually, you know, looking back. Um, and certainly it would have been easier, definitely in the short term, just to to power through and to stay um in that situation. And it may have cost me, you know, uh, uh my marriage. And um so looking back, I I'm really proud of myself for for making that uh decision.
1: I, it's like the analogy of the um the the glass jar with the large rocks and then the smaller rocks and the sand and the water, and you're supposed to put your large priorities first. And it's true, We, we all like to think that, oh yes, I would absolutely make that decision in that situation, but you don't know until you're in the situation.
2: Agree completely, and um, it's it's helped fortify you know decisions that have followed. Um, I haven't been in an as extreme situation as that, thankfully, uh, since. But you know these smaller decisions pop up all the time. I have two kids now. Um, there's always competing priorities between my kids and my husband and my work and travel and conferences uh, and uh, other obligations. And so um, having made that one big choice that one time, um, you know, strengthened me and has helped me in smaller. Decisions along the way, uh, just coming back to those priorities and um, and really thinking about um, you know where work obligations fall in relation to uh, to my family and other uh, priorities.
1: Absolutely. I like the trend away from describing everything as work-life balance and more starting, you hear the phrase work-life integration coming up more and more frequently. And I think it's a much better descriptor because they, as much as we would like to think that there are these two separate halves of our lives, these two separate parts to who we are, it's really just us. We are one person. And it gets more and more difficult maybe appropriately maybe inappropriately so to try to cut out and parcel these different parts of our lives and the decisions we make in our professional lives absolutely give us the strength and the knowledge and the life lessons to go on and then make decisions in other parts of our lives it's two halves of the same coin you can't really uh, separate any of it out Agree. Well, we are unfortunately running just a little bit short on time. So I'm going to close with something completely different and a little bit more fun. When you are not in the hospital saving lives, what do you enjoy doing the most?
2: Well, I, everyone that works with me knows I have a, a terrible TV habit. And so, and I, everything I watch is complete trash. It's <laughs> every reality TV show. Um, I'm a big Bachelor fan. I'm um, an original member of Bachelor Nation. I've actually seen every Bachelor. Um, series since it started in like 2002. So this is like 20 years of
1: that's actually incredibly <laughs> impressive. <laughs> that is a life accomplishment right there.
2: So I, I watch way too much TV. I drink way too much Diet Coke. Uh, those are probably, you know, if you were to find me outside of work, chances are I'm watching something awful on television and <laughs> drinking Diet Coke.
1: <laughs> well, on that note to all of our listeners, as we extend this rose to Dr. <laughs> borhart um, we just want to encourage everybody out there to remember you're not alone, that a lot of these decisions that you're facing are faced by other people too. So extend a hand, reach out, ask for help, and we will see you on the next episode of Women's Wisdom. Thanks so much for being with us.
2: Thank you.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast in the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians, dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information on AAM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.